Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. As I shared after the worship at 9 o'clock, if that didn't bless you, your blesser is broken. Good stuff this morning. Hey, before we get into the message this morning, I just want to remind you all of some things. Uh, we have so many new people in our church that a lot of you don't know these sort of special dates. So the second Sunday of February uh, today is our fifth anniversary in this building. Yeah, so happy anniversary. It was five years ago this Sunday, 2019, that we moved into this site. Now, our anniversary of the start of this church is always the first Sunday in April. So in a couple months, we'll be celebrating our 14th anniversary as a church. And, uh, you know, this year we have Easter at the end of March and then our anniversary in April. And we'll do a few special things on each week. But I'm already going to sort of warn you next year, oh, we're going to celebrate because uh, for our 15th anniversary, because our 10th, for those of you that were here, remember we had to cancel that because of the pandemic. So we're going to sort of combine our 10th anniversary and our 15th anniversary next year. and We're going to have a real big party uh, celebrating what God has done these last 15 years uh, next year on the first Sunday of April. 1 Samuel chapter 30 this morning as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's be reminded of the context here. David has walked away from the Lord for the past 16 months. He has sort of severed ties with God, if you will. He has went into enemy territory and a volunteer uh, volunteered himself as a mercenary soldier for the Philistines. He has fooled the king of the Philistines. He has told the king that he's out raiding, you know, their enemies when actually he's been raiding and destroying and defeating the enemies of Israel. And a few weeks ago, we saw that the Philistines had now decided to go to battle against the Israelites. And the rest of the leaders of the Philistines were like, no, 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 we're not comfortable with this. David, you know, could turn on us in the midst of battle and it would not go well for us. His reputation preceded him. So they're basically not going to support David and his men being part of the battle against the Israelites. And they asked the king to remove him from the battlefield. So you can imagine David and his men are moved off the battlefield and they begin their journey back to their home in Ziklag, okay? Now, remember, David has been raiding places like where the Amalekites live. So when we jump into 1 Samuel 30, David has stirred up a hornet's nest. And in a sense, uh, the hens have come back to roost on David's life. Uh, he's really going to begin to suffer like he has never suffered up to this point before. And this is where we jump in to David's life in 1 Samuel 30. It says in verse 1, On the third day, as they were coming back, David and his men came to Ziklag. 
Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it. They took captive the women who were in it from the youngest to the oldest, but they did not kill anyone. They simply carried them off and went on their way. We have in the first two verses of 1 Samuel 30 what we call the reader's advantage or the reader's edge. In other words, we're given information as a reader of Scripture that David doesn't even know yet. He and his men don't know what's happened yet, but we do and why. And like I said, why has it happened? Well, the Amalekites were one of the people that David raided against, and now they are seeking vengeance against David. And so they come, they burn everything in Ziklag down, and they take all the women and children, all the family members of David and all those who were with him, all 600 men have now been taken captive by the Amalekites, okay? Keep that in mind. Begin to think, how would you feel? What would be going through your heart and mind if you came back home and your home was burned to the ground and every family member in that home had been taken captive by an enemy? What would be going through your heart and mind? That's what we're going to discover beginning in verse three. Notice, David and his men, when they came to the city, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been taken captive. David is viewing the damage, but not the carnage. There are no bodies or anyone's been murdered or killed, which can I say, if you know anything about the Amalekites, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, that's already a miracle. It's already incredible that they do not see any loss of life at this point in this story. How do they respond? Verse four, David and the men who were with him wept loudly until they could weep no more. Their hearts were broken and they could only imagine what has happened or what is happening to their family members. I mean, think about it. The Amalekites had a reputation of being ruthless. What were they doing to the women, to their wives? What were they doing to their children? Were they torturing all of them? Were they selling some of them into slavery? You can only imagine, again, what was going through their minds as they came back to their home in Ziklag in Philistine territory and saw the scene before them. And again, why had all this happened? The choices that David has made as he was on the run from God and went into Philistine territory and tried to carry out this deception with the king of the Philistines. We are informed even in verse five that David's two wives had been taken. So David was just as affected as everyone else in the camp was affected. At this point, I wanna say this. One of the things that you and I could write over this chapter is this, and we've sung about it today. God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. Because God is going to be faithful to David even though David has not been faithful to God for the last 16 months, okay? 
He's not been living in partnership with God. He's not been walking with God. He's been out on his own trying to figure things out and navigate life for himself. And now all this has happened. So, verse 6, David was very upset, to say the least. In fact, this is a very interesting word and a very descriptive word in the original language. It means to be in distress, but it also means to sort of be in straits, if you will, to, to be pressed upon, like, like the whole world is caving in on David. It was a word that was used uh, when they would take olives and they would press them into olive oil or take grapes and press them into grape juice or into wine. And you can understand that because there's been times in your life, like mine, where you felt pressed, where you felt like the whole world was closing in on you. And it's not just closing in on David because of the consequences of his choices and because now he came back with all of his men and saw that their hometown has been burned to the ground. All of their material and physical possessions have either been burned or taken in as plunder by the Amalekites, but now all their family members have been taken captive and are now prisoners of war at that point. But that's not the only thing that's sort of pressing on David. Notice the reaction and response of David's own men. David was very upset for the men were thinking of stoning him. Each man grieved bitterly over his own sons and daughters. Remember, these were the men that had left everything to follow David. And you can understand where they were at and where they were coming from and what was going through their heads. They were basically saying, David, we trusted you. We've left everything to follow you. We've given up everything. And look at now what you've led us to. Look at what's happened to our families and to our homes because we followed you. You can imagine I'm sure the tension was really high in the camp, so much so that the Bible informs us that there was a group within that group that wanted to stone David. I'm sure David knew that, and he was probably wondering to himself, is this the way I'm going out? And yet in the back of his mind, he knew that he had been anointed by Samuel to be the future king of Israel and that that was hanging out there, but somehow he could not understand how that was ever going to happen at this point. This, this was going to be one of David's lowest points of his life, okay? I mean, th this is a point where it can't get any worse for David. Think about it. His home and the homes of all those who are following him and with him have been burned to the ground. All of their family members have been taken captive. And now the people that he thought were on his side who were with him are now even turned against them because they are bitter against him because they're holding him responsible. The buck stops with him. David, you brought this about. You did this to us. And so we can only, you know, again, imagine what David was feeling at that moment. So what does David do? Well, notice what David does. It says, David drew strength from the Lord his God. 
David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. If there is a phrase that I would encourage you to meditate on, to contemplate, to consider this coming week and the weeks ahead, that's the part of this passage I would like you to zero in on. Why? Because all of us need to learn how to strengthen ourselves in God. And, and what's interesting is note that David didn't try to turn to those that were getting ready to stone him and somehow win them over, somehow convince them that, you know, let's think about this, fellas. Let, let's talk about this. Let, let's pray about this. this really, no, no, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't immediately turn to humans to try to figure this out. Finally, finally, David turns back to God. After 16 months, he finally looks up, if you will, and he strengthens himself in his God. How do you do that? All of us need to figure that out for ourselves. Every last one of us needs to, to figure out how do I strengthen myself in God? Because all of us need to live with the strength and the power that only God can supply. How do I receive that? How do I find that? How do I draw from that strength, you see? Now, I'll give you a couple of obvious things. I've, Prayer, worship, uh, the word of God, the fellowship of other believers. But even more than that, even more basic and simplistic is, is that is David just was sitting with his God. He was just being still and knowing God at this point. He wasn't trying to figure anything more out. He, he wasn't trying to run from the situation. He was just sitting in the presence of his God and letting God strengthen him, all right? You and I need to get to that place where we can sit with God and be strengthened, where we can settle ourselves in with God and let God's strength be infused and imparted to us because First of all, every day we need the Lord's strength, but especially when you and I are going through situations and seasons like David or even coming close to like David navigated, we will never be able to navigate those seasons in our own strength, but only in the strength that God can supply. And even as the prophet Isaiah teaches us in Isaiah 40, even youths will run out of their strength. You know, all of us need to learn what it means to wait on the Lord and have our strength renewed. And that's exactly what David was doing here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. So that's where it starts, folks. David's journey back with God and back to God starts in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, where in this dire situation in these desperate straits, the first thing David does is strengthen himself in his God. But then notice what David does next. He says to the priest, Abiathar, bring me the ephod. The ephod was that instrument in the Old Testament that they would use to determine 
God's will and God's guidance and God's direction. It's what God gave to his people before he imparted the Holy Spirit into our lives like we have today. We don't need an instrument to determine God's will. We have the two best. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God and that's what God wants us to use to navigate and guide our lives. But in those days, they did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, nor did they have the word of God as we have it today. So he gave them the ephod, and the ephod was that, again, used to determine things. So notice David says, I need to now turn to the Lord. I need to seek his counsel. I need to ask for his wisdom. I need to look to him. I need to pray to him. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and in verse 8, David inquired of the Lord. First thing he did was strengthen himself in God. That's where it starts. Second, he turned to the Lord and asked for God's help, God's guidance, and God's wisdom. These are the steps you and I need to take in our life. In fact, we can take them every day where we strengthen ourselves in God and then we look to God and say, God, what's up for today? What do you have for me today? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I need your guidance. I need your direction. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the, the, the thing that you notice right away here, and we sung about it in our worship, again, how faithful, how merciful, how good God is, is that God was right there for David. Even after 16 months of David walking away from God, God didn't respond to David. That, no, I'm not going to respond to you. Where have you been the past 16 months? God didn't put David on probation. God didn't tell David, David, you're going to have to jump through 10 hoops before I'm right there for you. No, God was right there for David, met him right where he was. Even though David had walked away from him, God had never walked away from David. And God was faithful to David, even though David was not faithful to God. And, and I want to say that out loud today because all of us need to be reminded of that and we need to hear that and we need to take that into our own lives for ourselves. No matter where we are, we're never far away from God. It just takes you know, one look to God. It, it takes one prayer to God. It takes us just to turn to God, and God is right there. He doesn't put us on probation. He doesn't tell us to do all these steps first. No, he's right there, and he's open to us right away. Right away. So David asks, verse 8, should I pursue this raiding band? Will I overtake them? And God says, pursue, for you will certainly overtake them and carry out a rescue. Did David deserve this? Did he deserve this grace, this mercy from God? No, any more than we do. But again, God was faithful. God is good. God is merciful. God never treats us according to our iniquities and to our sins. And so here's God being merciful, being gracious, say, go after him. And notice the words that God uses here. Certainly you will overtake them. You see, God's word can be trusted because God's word is sure. 
When God tells us something and he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen exactly as God says because God and God alone has the authority and the power to make it happen and to carry it out. That's why he's just saying to us, just trust me. Just trust me. And so God gives him his word to guide him, to direct him, and says, yep, you go after him. And even though you don't get it in the English translation, what God also tells David is, this rescue will be a complete rescue. We'll come back to that. You'll see that where that comes into play later on. But God basically promises him, everybody's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And again, that's a miracle in and of itself. So, verse 9, David went, accompanied by 600 men. David moved to the word of God. That's what you and I need to do. When God reveals to us and his spirit is telling us to do something, when his word is telling us to do something, we need to move to the word of God. And God isn't going to give us all 10 steps down the path. God is going to give us that first step and see will we be obedient to that first step because God's going to lead us step by step. Many times where we get, you know, messed up in our lives is we want God to show us the whole way down the path before we even start to take that step of faith. And that's not the way God primarily works. He wants us to trust him every step of the way because notice he doesn't give David all the details. He wants Dave, David to trust him with the details and in the details because David has no idea where are they, which we're going to come to in just a moment. Where are they? Where are they camping? How will I find them? All of that. God is saying, trust me. And God is saying the same thing to us today. Move to my word and trust to take that first step. When you get there, then I'll give you more information to take that second step. So David and his 600 men take off. Now we have a little bit of a, a parenthesis moment that's also going to come back into play later on in the passage. When they get to this wadi, this stream there called Baser, it says David and 400 men continue the pursuit in verse 10, but 200 men were too exhausted to cross the, the wadi, and so they stayed behind. Why were they exhausted? Well, they were emotionally drained. Remember back in verse four, it says all the men had wept so loudly and, and for so long that they could weep no more. They were grieving the loss of their families and of their homes. And you might say, well, weren't all of them emotionally drained from grieving their loss and all of that? Yes, but all of us are unique creations of God. All of us do not get affected the same way by situations in life. All of us are not, uh, do not have the capability to absorb as deeply as others. All of us are, are not drained to the same level, even if you and I would go through the same experience or with the same person, we may not be equally drained. I, I wanna say that because some of you, 
need to learn to be self-aware and give yourself grace. When you are going through the grieving of a loss in your life, when you're dealing with a situation or a circumstance, you might even, even begin to question yourself, why am I so tired today? I really haven't exerted myself or done anything to, to bring me to this level of, of being tired. But you're not counting maybe the spiritual battle that you're dealing with that's draining you. Maybe something that's hanging out there that's not resolved in your life with something or someone that sort of continually is draining you. And, and these are the things that drain us. And, and they're going to affect all of us differently. And so for David and these 600 men, two of them just had to tap out. They were just like, we cannot go any further. We cannot go. So David allowed them to stay behind and guard the equipment if you will. So that's important because, again, we're going to come back to that point later on. But then notice verse 11. They start to go and they found an Egyptian in a field and they brought this Egyptian to David. They give him bread and water and they try to refresh him with some food and all of that. And in verse 13, David says, to whom do you belong? And he finds out, I'm an Egyptian, the servant of a Amalekite. And guess what? We just took out a raid on Ziklag, the end of verse 14. The providence of God. Do you think it was just coincidence or it just happened that they found this one man where they found him as they were getting ready to move on and that this man knew exactly where the Amalekites were, where they took all the captives, where they took all their stuff and where they were camping. No, God had it all figured out because God is in the details, even the smallest of details of our life. And all God wanted from David was to trust him that you pursue and I'll be with you as you obey me and follow me to rescue all the people that have been taken captive. You and I need to have that same trust in God. He's not going to tell us all the details ahead of time, but he's saying, walk down this path with me. I've got you. And he had David. It, that Egyptian was just at the right place at the right time for David's men to meet out there in the middle of nowhere, who could bring that about but God, you see? So he says, do you know where these guys are? And the Egyptian said, I, I absolutely know where they are. In fact, I'll lead you to them. So David, in a sense, has this scout who was working for the enemy and now is willing to work for David. So the Bible tells us in verse 16, David goes down. He finds where the Amalekites are. They're throwing a party. They're throwing a victory party. They're, you know, having a great old time. But the Bible says in verse 17, David struck them down from twilight until the following evening. He defeated them all, and none of them escaped except 400 young men. Now, go with me down to verse 18. This is incredible. David retrieved, rescued, recovered everything. Man, if you on your line, underline your Bible, underline the word everything, the whole, 
all the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. There was nothing missing, lacking, or failing because God does not fail. God promised a complete rescue, and that's exactly what was happening. Whether small or great, he retrieved sons and daughters, the plunder, and everything else that they had taken. David brought everything back. Who but God could do such a thing? I mean, the fact that God preserved every last woman and child not a hair of their head was harmed in any way. They were with the Amalekites, let's not forget. Read about the ruthlessness of the Amalekites and how they treated captives. For them to be able to recover everyone and everything from the smallest to the greatest, it's incredible. It's a miracle. It's God saying to his people throughout generations, I am the God who alone can protect and preserve. If, if I could protect and preserve this group that was in enemy territory, captured by the enemy, then you can trust me to take care of you and all that you have and all that you are. And, and I want to pause for just a moment too and and make an aside here on this day where we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table. This is a reminder to us that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a complete Savior. He's a complete deliverer. He's a complete rescuer. He doesn't just save us halfway. He saves us all the way through. And he can save us from, deliver us from, rescue us from anything and everything that comes into our life. He is such a great savior that he has saved us from the penalty of sin. He is saving us in this life from the power of sin. And one day he will save us from the presence of sin. There is no savior like Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today, beyond the fact that you've already asked him to be your savior spiritually, and you've accepted Christ as your savior, and you've been saved from your sin if there's anything else throughout your life that you need saved from, delivered from, and rescued from, he's your man. Just look to him. Because no one can save like Jesus can. And no one can save as completely. And so if there's anything out there in your life that's hanging out there that you haven't yet brought to God and said, God, save me from this, rescue me from this, deliver me from this, I'm, I'm encouraging you today, do it, because God can deliver us from anything and everything. A complete Savior. Verse 20, David took all the flocks and herds, drove them in front of the rest of the animals, and people were saying, this is David's plunder. Wow. Again, the graciousness and mercy of God. God did all this for David, even though David did not deserve it, because God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. And this also, this is an example of what I think Paul talked about in Ephesians when he said God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever dream or imagine. I mean, there's no way 
that when David and those men took off to pursue the enemy and try to, you know, regain everything, I don't think even in their minds any of them thought, we're going to get everything back. Nothing's going to be lost. It's going to be a total recovery of everyone and everything that was taken in Ziklag. I think that would have been just too much, right? But nothing's too much for our God. Nothing's too hard or too difficult or beyond our God's ability to be able to do. And so that's exactly what happens. Now, here's where what we talked about earlier comes back into play. Go with me to verse 21. David then approached the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him, whom they left behind at the wadi. And they, when they saw David and everyone coming, they went out to David and the people who were with him. And when David approached the people, he asked how they were doing. Think about that. This guy has been through it. It's been a hard day, right? And he's just recovered, and yet, He cares about these 200 men that were too exhausted to go with him, you see. Now, all the evil and worthless people that were amongst David's group, they were saying, well, since they didn't go with us, we don't, they don't get any reward. They didn't earn it. They they didn't go with us. And David said, verse 23, no. You shouldn't do this, my brothers. Look at what the Lord has given us. First of all, let's go back to what David said in verse 21. David had compassion on them in their wearied condition. He was learning to be the kind of leader that God was looking for to lead his people one who does not drive others beyond what they are able to endure. Let me stop for a moment. Some of you may work for someone like that. Or you may be one who has others work for you and you're constantly driving them into the ground or you as an employee are constantly being driven into the ground because You're working for someone that will never give you a break. That's not God. God understands that we need breaks every once in a while. We need to take time off and days off. Remember Jesus? He would send his disciples out to minister, and when they came back after an intense time of ministry, he would take them up into the mountain and say, guys, let's take a couple days off. David is learning to be that kind of leader because you and I, if we continue to drive people with us or under our leadership into the ground, first of all, they'll begin to resent us and two, there's gonna come a breaking point. And we as leaders need to be aware of that as well. You cannot continue to drive people and drive them and drive them because there's going to be things that come into their life that drain them, things even outside of maybe what we know. And we've got to be considerate and aware and and sensitive to what's going on in their lives. David was that kind of leader. And David, notice in verse 23, is also saying, listen, the glory for this victory belongs to God. The victory belonged to God. It's all because of God. It wasn't because of us. 
So why are you resenting us giving part of the reward to the people that were left behind? And then I love what he says in verse 24. He basically says to these people who are complaining, who's going to listen to you? Basically, keep your mouth shut. No one's going to listen to you. Then he says, the portion of the one who went down into the battle will be the same as the portion of the one who remained with the equipment. Let their portions or their rewards be the same. And from that time onward, it was a binding ordinance in Israel right up to the present time. What's David doing here? Well, first of all, he's showing graciousness and generosity. But second of all, he's also establishing a principle, a principle I want you to hear from me today as your pastor. And that is that we are all in this together. And the people up front aren't any more valuable or, or do a reward than the people behind the scenes. And especially, I know that many of you are praying for me and I may be out there fighting a battle one day. And you might not even be aware of it, but you're praying for me and you're supporting me and you're encouraging me. Do you realize that in God's perspective and from God's eyes, you are just as much a part of the reward that will come out of the victory in that battle as I am? That's why I share with you when I'm doing a memorial service or something like that, and I know you're praying for me because I may be doing something and God may be using me, but God is also using your prayers, your support, and your encouragement in my life and in my ministry as well. And you have equal reward from the Lord because those many times behind the scenes that stay behind, that aren't engaged in the battle, are just as valuable as the people on the battlefield. And David wanted to make sure that that principle was established in Israel. One final thing. We learn in verse 26 through the rest of the chapter that we are blessed to be a blessing. Because David brought back all the plunder that they had now retrieved from the Amalekites. Not only their own families and their own stuff, but the stuff of the Amalekites. And he began to give it out as gifts to all the different cities in Israel. In fact, in verse 31, the last city that's mentioned, Hebron, will become the first capital city of David when he becomes king of Israel. That's significant. When you and I are blessed by God, and David realized how blessed he was, what a blessed position he was in, how gracious and good his God was to him, he couldn't help but want to share it and share that blessing with others. Now, where are we at today? Well, I don't know all the specifics of what you may be going through in your life right now, but we can follow what David did here. Even if you haven't been as close to the Lord as, as you could be or should be, it just takes one step, one look, one prayer, one turn, and God's right there. And I want to encourage you today to take the rest of our time as we come to God's house here today and strengthen yourself in the Lord. Find that strength that only God can give you and then turn to him. Keep that in mind as we get ready in a few moments to partake of the Lord's table. Let this time be a time where you sit with God, where you settle yourself into God and where you strengthen yourself in your God. I'm gonna ask Nicole and our worship team to come as they come and get settled here on the platform in just a moment. 
I'm also going to ask Teresa and the communion team to come and to begin to pass out the elements. As they pass them out, we can all remain seated while we're singing our worship song this morning. And then after our song is completely sung, I will come out and I will ask us all to stand and we will partake together of the Lord's elements of the Lord's table. As you're sitting there and, and being served, again, use this time to strengthen yourself in the Lord. I'm gonna go ahead now and ask Teresa and her team to begin passing out the elements and let's enter into a time of worship and strengthening this morning. 